All right, so what we've been doing on Wednesday nights, supplementing our Wednesday, uh, Sunday mornings, and looking at the covenants that we've been going through and kind of diving deeper in them. And then what I've tried to do last Wednesday and then this Wednesday as well, since we've been in the Old Testament on Sunday mornings, is to go in the New Testament and look at how these things parallel with what we're seeing in the Old. Uh, so today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 10, uh, because this deals a little bit with the Mosaic Covenant and the Exodus, which we began looking at last Sunday, uh, which judging at, you know, my long-windedness and how much there is to cover, we will probably be with Moses for a little while on Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, the uh, Just getting through the Exodus story, is, it's hard to cover, and there's just so much there, but it's, it's really, really good. Um, and so what I want us to look at today is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. Now, there's a ton here, and uh, we're not likely to get through it all. But what we'll see and what Paul is going to make clear is what's in the old is for us. It's there for us just as much as the new. And that's what he's going to unpack as we walk through 1 Corinthians 10. And we'll see how these parallels from the old carry over to the new. And we'll see how God has really worked the same way with his people since the beginning. Uh, So with that in mind, look with me at 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. Sorry. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So we're jumping in, uh, give you a little bit of the context since we're jumping kind of far into the book here. Right before this, Paul has talked about uh, running the race, kind of counting the costs. He says, do not do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So with his illustrations, Paul's giving us an image of running our race faithfully to the end. Living the Christian life faithfully to our last breath. Uh, Being people who have self-control, who are able to fight sin, pursue holiness, and hold fast to Christ. Um... For those of you who read my, my email today, I posted it on Facebook too. Um, I, we were over at the Basses, we were there Monday night, um, 
hanging out with the Basses and the Meltons, and I was talking with Jesse, and I've, so part of my ministry and what I do is I just give people books, and I, I yeah, they laugh, because they've got shelves of them. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got some, <laughs> but the, uh, that's just what I do. I give people books. So when we, you know, when we entered into this trial that we've been in with Micah and everything that's been going on, of course, I start unloading books on them. And I've given Jesse a number of books on grief. Uh, but Monday night, he told me that his favorite book that he's read on grief so far in these last few weeks has been uh, A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. And it's a very short book. Um, it's a book essentially that was a journal that C.S. Lewis wrote right after his wife died. His wife died of cancer. And he just wrote in his journal kind of processing things. So you can read it and tell he did not mean to publish this, right? <laughs> you know, this was, this was for him. Uh, it's very raw. It's not always theologically correct or whatever, you know, it's, but it's real. It's the human experiment. You know, you just see like, he's just explaining how he feels and laying it out there. And Jesse said, that's been the most helpful thing to him so far, because so much of what C.S. Lewis experienced, Jesse has been experiencing over the last few weeks, but in there. Uh, so I decided, well, I need to read that book. So Tuesday, I read the book. Uh, it's short. You can read it about an hour, two hours. Uh, good, good book, though. But in there, he says something along the lines of, you don't really know what you believe until your beliefs have been tested, right? That uh, until what you say you believe has been tested by the fires of trial and hardship, like that's what reveals what you really believe, you know? Uh, so you can say you believe whatever, but until you go through some suffering, then, then you find out what you really believe. You know, then you find out what your, what your faith is really in. Um, and that's what Paul's anticipating, right? He's saying, look, you're like an athlete who's got to run a hundred mile ultra marathon. You better be ready to suffer. You better be ready to hold fast, come what may, because what may is coming, right? So... You've got to stick it out and keep the faith until the end. And he gives those athletic illustrations, and then he takes us to the Old Testament. And that's where we find our passage today. So in light of that mindset of keeping the faith, holding fast, keeping self-control, fleeing idolatry, fleeing immorality, all these things, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that, that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. All right. So what do we see here? Digging in. Right. So, I do not want you to be unaware. Well, unaware of what? Well, there's some continuity um, from old to new. Um, things work the same. So, Corinthians and Corinth, they seem to have a pride problem. Right? Paul's talked about in the beginning, 
You've got some saying, well, I'm a Paul, and others, I'm of Apollos, and I'm this guy, and I'm that guy. Well, then the really holy guy in the corner is like, well, I'm of Jesus. You know, and, <laughs> but they're, they're factioning, they're dividing, and it all really comes down to pride and spiritual pride, especially the guy who said he's with Jesus. Now, it's the right answer, but he was just being arrogant. Uh, the, uh, the issue with them is that pride, right? And they're elevating themselves to a point that they shouldn't be. And Paul is building into something here that's going to get unpacked later that we won't get into uh, in, in issues with how they're taking communion. And uh, he's going to allude to that towards the end of this, but, or even in this passage that he's getting into the sacraments and communion and baptism. But you had a group of Corinthians who were, kind of just thought it was all about them. So they'd get to church early and they'd eat all the communion bread and they'd drink all the communion wine. And, you know, they were getting drunk and getting fat and they weren't worried about all the people that were not going to get to partake in that communion meal because they were just so indulgent, right? They were, it was all about them. And right, that's kind of the problem behind all the problems here. It's all about them. Jeff? Yeah, Jeff Neal. Yeah. Jeffrey Neal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, pa- <laughs> Pastor. But, but, yeah, pa- no, I, I never heard that. Right. That's what's that's what's going in my mind. Right, right. Yeah, Pastor Neil did a really good job of showing how messed up the Corinthian church was. Yet they were still the Corinthian church, right? They're still God's people, and they are elevating themselves above other people of God. And Paul's trying to show, like, hey, actually, you're the same, and you might be worse. So let's, let's think about that before you write them off. And so there's lessons for us to learn here tied to this covenant continuity that, that Carl's mentioned, right? That there was the way things happened under the old, and the Corinthians could be thinking, hey, it doesn't matter how I act because I'm under grace, not under law, Right. Ah, yeah, yeah. A lot of weird stuff. Yeah, a lot of weird stuff going on. Right. That's in Hebrews. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ah. Right. Right, right. Well, I mean, you've got people all over the map, but what they're doing 
is elevating themselves and Paul's trying to say, look, you need to be careful here, right? This is a, a caution, a warning. So I do not want you to be unaware. Why? Because you need to heed God's word. And God's word, Old and New Testament, are written for you, which is what he says, right? These things took place as examples for us. Now, for us here, um, I'm jumping ahead, but the Corinthian church was primarily Gentile, right? This is, this is mostly a Gentile church. And we know the old was certainly written for Jews. So you got Jews and Gentiles in the for us. So this is for the church. So even, even the words written to Old Testament Israel are written for us, for the, the church. This is for God's people. There's continuity across the covenants. Now, what is he trying to say? Our fathers, so in this sense, our fathers is tying to the Exodus. So Moses and them, that's, uh, how's your mama and them? How's Moses and them, right? Uh, <laughs> this little Southern aspect there. Uh, how y'all doing? How's y'all fathers? Uh, so that, sorry, this is how my mind works. Uh, <laughs> the fathers is Moses, Joshua, you know, all of them in the Exodus. Uh, they were all under the cloud. What is a cloud? This is not apple. This is something else. <laughs> What's that? Leadership. The, the leadership, the, what led them, right? The, the pillar, pillar of smoke. Got it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, pillar of smoke, cloud that led them. Um, what, how did, what did the pillar, the cloud do exactly? Like it led them, but anything else, Jeff? It was also protection. Right. It came, it came to the Red Sea. It came to the right. And I mean, there's even, on, you know, just more simplistic, like the cloud of smoke is protecting them from the sun, like they're walking into the desert. Um, that area is, you know, it's not the most, like for... Pale folk like me, it's not the most you know, friendly place to be unless you got a lot, a lot of heavy sunscreen. I imagine Moses and them did not. But they've got the, the pillar of, of cloud, the pillar of smoke that's blocking the sun, helping them through, leading them to where to go. Then when they get to the Red Sea, it's offering even more protection coming in between them and the Egyptians, right? And then they're able to go through. So Paul is kind of linking them together, the cloud and pass through the sea. Um, and then he talks about being baptized in the cloud and the sea. So he's linking these two together because it's the cloud that's leading them to the Red Sea and through the Red Sea. So who's leading the cloud? God, right? Really, the cloud represents the presence of God, right? And that's a, the pillar of smoke by day, the pillar of fire by night. This is the presence of God. If you remember back to the Abrahamic covenant, uh, when God cuts a covenant with Abraham to reassure his faith in Genesis 15, there's, a, there's like smoke and fire that go through the, the slain animals. Uh, and that's God's presence walking through and saying, look, I'm keeping this covenant. I'm making all the vows. I don't lie. I can't die. Let it all be on me if this covenant is broken. Uh, and that was alluding to what was going to come in the Mosaic covenant with the cloud and the fire you know, the cloud by day, the fire by night, but it's God leading them. Like, that's the point. This is God's leadership and God is the one who's leading them through the Red Sea and by, and protecting them and guiding them. 
And he says they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Well, what do you make of that? Ah, yeah, so something's happening. There's change there. That, that baptism's pointing towards that. Into, this is not accurate. Um, <laughs> the Greek, um, it's, so it's not that that's not accurate, it's just not the most accurate. So there's essentially the word is in Greek. It's just E-I-S if you were to translate it over to English is what that word is, which does not mean in. It can mean that, uh, but the word in, like if we were to say you were baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that word in the Greek is, if you change it over, is en. So it's still pronounced basically in, but it's being baptized into Christ, into the Father, into the Son, into the Holy Spirit. That's what we think of when we look at that, right? So, like, oh, they were baptized into Moses, we're baptized into the Trinity. Well, no, like they too are baptized into the Trinity. This is basically meaning in the ministry or under the ministry of Moses, right? So uh, in that covenant, in that time, um, under the ministry of Moses, they were baptized. They were baptized through the cloud into the sea, uh, really tying more to God's presence in that cloud. So they're baptized into the triune God the same way we are, right? This is God's people, not merely Moses' people. Um, so that's deceptive language. That's just, it's hard to translate that over from Greek into English and to be able to see all of that. But that's, that's the idea. So they, are, they were all baptized under the ministry of Moses in the cloud. So in is like in God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the very presence of God that is seen in that cloud and in the sea, with the sea, right? They go through, now they go through on dry land, but, I mean, have you ever been on the beach? You can be on, quote unquote, dry sand. They were just in Hilton Head. And you can still be getting wet, right? Just from the waves crashing, like there's water in the air, right? So, Water is surely coming upon them in some way, but the ground's dry enough to walk through is the idea. And there's wall, sea walls on both sides where it's not crashing down upon them. Uh, so they're sprinkled or whatever by the sea as they're walking through it as God is protecting them. And that's kind of the imagery I think we're supposed to get is that they're being led and protected by God through all of this. Does it? Does our baptism tie to that in any way? Is there a leading? Is there a protection that's being pronounced in baptism? Right. So is God putting his sign and seal on his people through baptism? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, you are to glorify God in your body. You belong to him. Um. We, we give ourselves to the Lord through baptism or we're given over to the Lord through baptism um, and that the promises of God are 
wrapping up that person in their baptism and you're leaning on those promises for protection and for leadership and for guidance. It's the exact same imagery from old to new. That, that's what's going on. And that's really what Paul's trying to get them to understand. Like, these are your brothers. These are your people. Let's learn from what happened to them, right? Let's not make the same mistakes twice. Let's look at what happened and grow. So, baptize... So this is into the ministry of Moses and cloud, think God, and baptism with, so sea, water, right? That's the, that's the idea. Now, he says, he goes from baptism, says, and ate, and all ate the same spiritual food. So what, what did they eat? Manna, right? Uh, anything else? Quail. Anything else? Any particular meal that's pre- pretty important for the Egyptian? I mean, for the, the Israelites? What? Passover, right. Yeah, so that's... T- well, but to even get to the desert, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, right. That's how they got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then once they got... Right, right, right. But so you got the Passover meal that then gets them to the desert to get the manna, right? And then eventually each year they're going to celebrate the Passover again and again. But yeah, so all of that is included. So uh, Passover and then manna, two ends, manna, yeah. Uh, And then uh, quail, all that stuff. Everything that God provides them, right? That's spiritual food. Now, hang on. How is that spiritual food? Seemed like real food. God supplied it. What'd you say, Frank? God provided it. Eli? Yeah, yeah. So, provided by God. But does God not provide us all food? Give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) He does. There's something else going on, right? That food is provided by God, but it's meant to point forward to a reality or point to a reality that goes beyond just what you see in the food. The Lord's Supper for us. Is that not how it works? Do this in remembrance of me, right? This is my body given for you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant given for you. It's not actually blood. It's not actually his body, but it points us to those things, right? Those elements point us to the greater reality of the gospel. Well, so did the Passover, right? The Passover lamb that was slain pointed to the lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. The manna points to the greater manna that we need in Christ. If anybody, you know, has, anybody has to eat his body, drink his blood, right? That's the same imagery. Like he didn't mean literally in that sense, but he's pointing forward to a greater reality, a spiritual reality. Now we tend to think of spiritual as not a lesser reality, but kind of like a ethereal thing that we can't touch or whatever. But the heavenly realities are a greater reality than what we can touch, right? Because these things are passing away, right? I, I've, I've been here since 2008, and these blue chairs have been here since then. And you can tell. They were here before that. They are getting worse and worse. But part of me wonders, will they ever just die? You know, they're, they're like, we need new chairs. But they will. They're going to perish, right? All of what we see in one way or another is going, it's decaying, right? It's wasting away. But that's not the heavenly reality, 
right? It's, it's the heavenly realities will stand and will eventually engulf the temporal, right? New heavens, new earth. Uh, the, the kingdom will come fully and, and overtake what is temporal with what is eternal. Uh, so spiritual food is seen through that physical. It's pointing towards that. And it's also spiritual in the sense that not only was it meant to feed their body, it's meant to feed their souls, right? That they're meant to see God has provided. God does care. I need to entrust not just my physical well-being to this God, but my spiritual well-being. I need to entrust everything to him. Um, We tend to do the opposite. We think I can trust God with my soul, but not my bank account, right? That's uh, spiritual, okay. Physical, not so much. Well, the Israelites were put in a different situation where they're having to trust God physically and we're struggling to trust him spiritually. But it needs to be both, right? At both ends. In every way, he is ours, we are his. Uh, So they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Um, Now, they're not drinking like communion wine or grape juice or whatever, but he points to they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Well, what came from the rock? Water, right. Um, Now we know Moses, uh, he got in some trouble because of the rock, but ultimately that rock is meant to point to Christ. Well, I don't, man, I don't remember seeing that in Exodus. Like that's not how it seems to be laid out. But Paul sees it that way. One, because of what you guys already pointed out. It's the Lord who provides. But two, this is meant to be more than just mere physical nourishment, right? It's this spiritual nourishment that they're seeing like, oh, God is our all in all. He is everything. We are meant to entrust our entire selves to him, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And so partaking in that the way God laid out, I mean, with the manna, certain rules, right? You go and you gather just what you need and you don't save any until the next day, yada, 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 except for before the Sabbath. Uh, you're following God's laws, you're trusting in God's gospel, and you're submitting yourself to the Lord. And it's the same reality for the Corinthians. You need to follow God's laws. You need to entrust yourself to God's gospel. You need to submit yourself to the Lord in every way. Um, and so... Right, so both are happening at the same time, right? So you've got physical, literal history that is also a, a type or a shadow of something bigger than just what's happening, right? So David slaying Goliath is Jesus slaying sin, you know, that... Uh-huh, right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you've got God calling them, God, through God's word, calling these Israelites their fathers, which means they were legitimate covenant members. Like they are a part of God's covenant people. And they were given all of this grace, right? The grace of baptism, the grace of spiritual food and spiritual drink. Uh, It's interesting that he doesn't point to circumcision because he could have, but he points to baptism in a way that most of us aren't going to think, oh, look, all the Israelites were just baptized as they left Egypt. But they were. 
Um, which, on my defense, as a Pado Baptist, guess who were with them? Everybody. <laughs> so, so if anybody ever tells you there's no Pado Baptism in the Bible, there's one right there. Uh, all the Israelite babies were baptized, and we know that there were babies there because they're the ones who get to go in the promised land because they didn't do stupid stuff like their adult people did. <laughs> they were willing to go in the land. Uh, but all that to say, that's not the main point. Uh, all that to say, there's similarities, right? There's carryover, there's continuity, and he's wanting them to see that. And notice what he says, that all under the cloud, all pass through the sea, all were baptized. Again, that is stressing the children, adults, all of Israel. They all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So this is gospel ministry. This is Christ-centered ministry happening in the Exodus, right? This is however many thousands of years before Jesus came in the flesh, yet Jesus is the one feeding them, providing for them, leading them. That's what Moses is telling us, right? Then he says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, hang on. They were baptized. They're partaking in their version of communion. Yet God was not pleased with them, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Right, well, so what, what was he not pleased with them for? You, Carl mentioned unbelief. Right. So you've got idolatry that, what's the first example we see of that in the Exodus? Golden calf, right? Um, so idolatry um, with that idolatry led to sexual immorality. Like they're having these crazy parties with all the worshiping and, you know, just stuff from like weird stuff from the seventies and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. They're just repeating the same old sins, but they are sinning against God in whatever form it takes, whether it's their idolatry, whether it's immorality, whether it's their grumbling. It's all because of unbelief, right? They're not taking God at his word, even though not only do they get to hear the word of God, actually to the point to where they say, hey, Moses, from now on, can you talk to us? Because we don't want to hear that again. That was terrifying, right? Uh, but not only do they get the blessing of the word of God, they look at what they saw. They saw the 10 plagues unleashed upon the ones who held them in bondage while they were exempted from it, even to the point to all the firstborn dying except for theirs, simply because they, sl- they slayed a lamb, they cooked it the way God had said, they ate it the way God said, they put the blood where God said, And then, boom. And then, not only that, that's followed by them actually getting release from slavery. And then, you you know, you think, oh, man, they're going to be so thankful. Nope. Right? So they get a little bit down the road, and they get to the Red Sea, and then they see the Egyptians coming. And they're like, oh, so Moses, like, you couldn't just leave us in bondage. You brought us out here to die. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Like, think of what all they've seen. 
And then they get delivered through the Red Sea, and you're thinking, okay, now it's good. But that next thing, you get to the bottom of Mount Sinai, Moses goes up to meet with God, and they're like, ah, oh, he's dead. Let's make a cow out of gold and worship it. That's our God. You know, it's just, they never seem to learn. And I think right now we're all chuckling at that. But how often do we never seem to learn? How often do we forget all the things God has done in our life again and again and again? And this is the exact same point of Paul, right? Paul's telling the Corinthians, you're them. (laughs) Don't think you're higher and mightier than them. History's repeating itself. So don't let it repeat itself all the way. Repent. Don't fall into the traps they fell into. For God was not pleased with most of them. I mean, think about that. All those people delivered, and yet God was not pleased with most of them. Now, all of them partook in these ordinary means of grace that were really pretty, pretty extraordinary, honestly. Water coming from a rock is pretty extraordinary. Manna coming from the sky is pretty extraordinary. Um, death passing over you because you made a meal the way God said to and put the blood on the doorpost. It's pretty extraordinary. Uh, and yet they missed it all and just kept grumbling and kept grumbling and kept grumbling. Yeah, so it's a safe place to, I'm going to be open. All right. So don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so often I'll go to Walmart and people will talk to me who have visited Cornerstone once or twice and I have no idea who they are. And they're like, hey, Pastor Nick. And I'm like, hey, you. <laughs> I tend to go, hey, brother. <laughs> and, uh, but I have no idea, you know. And, but every once in a while, I'll see somebody I know and I think, oh, they didn't see me. I can get away. And because some of these people that I see are these type of people that the last thing you ever want to ask them is, how's your day today? Right, because you're going to be there for hours. Right? They're like, you will hear about every complaint I have, and I have a laundry list. Right? They're never happy. Right? It's never like, man, I'm blessed to be above ground. It's always, this happened, this happened. You know, the, the hogs died, the chickens are dead. The, you know, it's just the list goes on and on. There's nothing in the pantry. Um, I woke up, my foot fell off. You know, it's just things are going bad. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> not at all not at all <laughs> what's funny though is today andrew came by my house today and we were looking at some stuff that's wrong with my house and ty called me beforehand he's like you know y'all ain't even going to talk about the stuff wrong with your house y'all are gonna be talking theology the whole time and we did spend a little bit of time on my roof talking theology but <laughs> no yeah, <laughs> that was totally because we were looking at the roof and the damage, right? <laughs> no, uh, but these people who just, they are blind to any blessing they have in their life. And yet they don't miss a single thing that goes wrong. And they, they major on the minors, right? Always. That's the Israelites, right? They, they can't see all the good God's done for them. They're just like, hey, I had, you know, I had three hots and a cot when I was in Egypt and now you took that from me and and now I got to eat manna. I got to eat quail. Uh, you know, all this, whatever God's just providing food now, like and a menu is not very big. What's up with that? You know, it's like 
did you just miss what you just said? God is providing food, like from the sky. Yeah, and you're not a slave, you're free. Um, they missed it. They're overlooking the grace in their life and growing bitter and grumbling. And that's the same temptation there for the Corinthians. Unbelief is the problem, right? They're missing it. Don't miss it. So he says, verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Now consider that. What does he mean by they desired evil? Is there a contrast anywhere in the Bible that you can think of to what you're saying? Like, instead of desiring the evil of Egypt, what should they have desired? Right. So, in Hebrews 11, when God's Word is talking about Moses, it says... Um, Got to get past Abraham here. Um, by faith, Moses, when he was born, this is starting in verse 23, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Now, I always think that's funny because it should say, by the people of God. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people by, of God or by the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting of pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. They consider the reproach of Christ worthless compared to the treasures of Egypt. Right, And they didn't experience the treasures like Moses did. Like Moses got to hang in Pharaoh's house with Pharaoh's daughter. He got to truly experience the pleasures and treasures of Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt. So they didn't even get a taste of what Moses had. And yet they're still saying, I would rather have that than God and his grace. And Moses is saying, I would rather have God and his grace than all the pleasures and treasures in the world. Right, this clear difference. So don't desire evil as they did. Right? Instead of seeing that they were given something spiritual and beautiful in the food and the drink that they were given, they were hungry for a steak from Egypt. They were willing to sell their birthright for a bowl of stew like Esau, right? It's the same general idea. So do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking and playing to the glory of God, right? But they're doing it for themselves and sinful indulgence, which he says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. Think again, as an example, right, to who? Us. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. What does that mean? So, A.D. 70... 
Jerusalem falls and what you have is a full and final completion of all that the old covenant is. The temple falls. Right? Even modern day Judaism recognizes this. Right? They don't do sacrifices the way they did before and all of that because of what changed in AD 70. So this old covenant age is coming to an end. So Paul's saying, look, don't fall into what they fell into uh, because you've got everything they had and more, right? The end of all of that has come upon you, right? You're not having to sacrifice lambs and doves and all these things in a temple because you have the once for all sacrifice in Christ. All those things have come to the fulfillment of what they pointed to, to Christ. Uh, you have something so much greater. You have greater evidence. Now think about that. We have a weightier responsibility to trust and obey because of what we have in the new covenant versus what they had in the old. Now, that might not seem right, right? Because they had the exodus. Like they walked through the sea on dry ground. That seems like like with great, with great uh, power comes great responsibility, right? With great, great blessings come great responsibility. That seems like a great blessing. They got to see that. A lot of us say, oh, seeing is believing. If I could just see this, if I could just have a little proof, then my faith would be stronger. Well, that's clearly not true, right? They saw, they touched, they felt, they experienced, and they still doubted. We have to take a lot of things by faith. But what we're taking by faith is of greater substance than what they experience. Right. Every greater revelation comes with it greater blessings, but also greater curses. And that's what I want you to see here. There is a curse reality here for the people of God. We tend to only think about the blessings, right? That we are in the new covenant and it's grace, 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 and there's no fear. Well, God will not be mocked, right? If you are baptized, you're taking communion and you're living like the devil, why would you think you would be exempt from what ancient Israel was fallen under? Right? If God overthrew them in the wilderness, why would he not overthrow us? Because it was Christ that saved them, just like it's Christ that saves us. Now, the problem was many of them showed themselves to not be genuinely saved. Right? That's the same thing for us. I don't think we can lose our salvation, but we can deceive ourselves about having it. And that's what happened here. You had many people walk through the Exodus. And what's interesting is Scripture will say they walk through by faith. But it wasn't genuine saving faith that they had. Their problem was unbelief. They did not have true faith. The Corinthians' problem, many of them, the ones who are falling into this great sin, is unbelief. They don't have true, proper faith. Or if they do, they're not showing it and banking on it. So he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? You've got all the blessings of Israel and more. They have all the blessings that you had. And they had these physical realities that pointed to spiritual realities. And they missed it. But all those things that it pointed to, all those things... What they pointed to was Christ, and you have Christ. Therefore, you have a responsibility to trust 
and obey, to fight sin, to pursue holiness, to flee idolatry, to flee immorality, to flee all these things, and to cling to Christ because the pleasures and the treasures of the world do not compare to Christ and everything he gives. So, lest you think that none of that can touch you, that you're safe, you're good, take heed lest you fall. That implies... We can fall. Like we are given these warnings not as mere hypotheticals. We're given them because we can be a full-fledged member of the covenant community. We've been baptized into the covenant community, the church. We're partaking of communion with the church. We think we're walking in faith even though we're living in great sin and we're deceiving ourselves. And if we don't take heed, if we don't heed God's word... We will fall. And the problem is, we're already falling and we don't realize it. We have to catch ourselves on Christ and repent and line up with God's word. Right? And so, what you see, this covenant continuity from the old to the new, you see God's operating the same way with us as he did with the people then. He assumes that there are going to be people who don't really know him, who don't really have a heart for him. And he's trying to fix that through his word, right? Repent and believe. Come back to me. All who are weary or heavy living, come to me. I will give you rest, right? He's, that's, this warning is there for that reason, so that we will lean on him. But it also reveals those who are truly of him, right? You think about that Matthew 7 reality. We talked about this last week. On the final day, there are going to be many who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that in your name? And he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. Now, in one sense, they, they thought they knew him. Right? They're probably baptized Christians, members of some local church, doing all this so-called ministry in Jesus' name. But he says, away from me, you workers of iniquity. Right? They're still not truly repentant. They're still walking in some sort of sin. And the heart of hearts of that sin is the sin of unbelief. Right. Right. So you can't have a one-track mind where you think if you're in the covenant, then you're in the right. Because you can be in the covenant and be a covenant breaker. It's the same thing we saw in John 15 last week. Right. If anybody in me does not produce fruit, they are removed, cast away, and burned. Right? You can be in Christ in some sort of fashion that is not saving as if you were the part of the elect, but you're a part of the covenant community, you're baptized into the covenant, and all of these things, you are actually a part of the grand all of the people of God. Right? All eight. All that. Yes, right. The same idea, the, the apostasy passages in Hebrews 6. So, you don't want to apostatize. You don't want to fall away. What's that? Well, and yes and no. Sure. Right. Yeah, yes and no. <laughs> right. Right, right. Well, but then the children who came up were there, but yeah, with the adults. 
But it's because of the choices they made that led them there, right? Uh, and yeah, but I think many of them had born again natures too. Not that not that fell away, but had some. They knew better. They had some sort of experience of the Spirit leading, guiding, uh, opening their eyes to all these truths. But they didn't really believe it. And so, what I think, what you can see in the church, you see this in the parable of the soils and the sower. Right, that you have some that the seed falls on rocky ground, some it falls on thorny ground, some is exposure to the sun, whatever. But for a time, it seems real, right? It seems like it's going to take, and it's right, 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 right. So then you come down to, well, how do I know? How do I know I'm the right soil? How do I know I'm not one who's just saying all the right things, but actually believes it? Take heed, lest you fall. Right? So you, you're right in saying, like, it's all the grace of God. We, we can't do it. But God is sovereign. We are responsible. We, we are called by God's word to repent and believe. But we can't do it unless God opens our eyes and gives us the ability to do it. But we're still responsible to do it. So same way here. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, right? So it's God's faithfulness is going to get you through this. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Now, he provides the way of escape. But who's going to take that? Right, exactly. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to get you out of here. He says, hey, come with me if you want to leave. It. Right, you know, he says, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he says, this way, right? Go this way, right? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was like weird Scottish. I don't, it just got mixed up, but the uh, <laughs> but he provides a way of escape, right? He doesn't just take away the temptation. And notice how he follows that up: that you may be able to endure it. The temptation may not even go away, but the ability is provided to in, endure it. That's the way of escape. How might we, in light of what this passage is saying? How might we endure temptation? Uh Uh-huh. Right. Right. Absolutely. So if you think about that, meeting with God's people, getting in God's word, the grand point behind them is kind of the contrast you see between Moses and the Israelites that are falling away. Now, Moses is a good example because he was a mess, right? He's still not allowed in the promised land, but he's spoken of later at the transfiguration and other things. He's clearly with God in paradise. He's saved. He was a mess. Things didn't work out here on earth the way they should have from his vantage point. But, and that was because of his sin. But it, he wasn't lost, right? So, so you look to Moses and the difference between him and these Israelites who are just swallowed up is he counts the reproach of Christ of greater worth than the treasures and the pleasures of Egypt. When you get into God's word, when you get around God's people, the primary point is to have your heart warm to Christ all the more. 
You're around a bunch of people who are just as crazy as you, and they all love Jesus, right? We all are the same kind of crazy. You love Jesus? I love Jesus too. You want to sit on my roof and talk about him? Yeah, let's do it, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's who we are. That's, we're just those kind of people because of how Christ has worked in our life. And so getting around each other, getting in God's word, is reminding us of our true and first love, Christ, and warming our hearts back there and helping us love him and trust him all the more so that we might live for him all the more until the day we live with him all the more. And so the way of escape is remember how much better Jesus is than this junk the world's offering you or this junk that your flesh says it wants right now. Whatever. You go back and the way of escape is look to Jesus He's what you're actually longing for. Because that sin you think you want, you know it's not going to satisfy. You're going to go, and then you're going to grumble because it didn't give you what you really wanted. But Christ, Christ is where true satisfaction is found. Christ is where true salvation is found. Christ is what we're after. He is the way of escape. He is the way to endure. He is the way. He's the point, right? And so that's what the Israelites were meant to see. And that's what the Corinthians need to see. And so within this covenant community, that's what's getting worked out. We're all supposed to be here together. And I would argue believers and their children are supposed to be in this covenant together. And within that covenant, God works out who is truly his eternally by fiery trials. By the ups and downs of life and everything that we go through. By giving us these ordinary means of grace, spiritual drink, spiritual food, baptism. And through those things, over time, covenant faithfulness is worked out and grown. Or covenant unfaithfulness is shown and displayed. And you see, you see people either overthrown and fallen away. Or coming to greater growth in Christ. Right? So where did Joe go? Well... We know where Joe went, <laughs> the same place the people who were swallowed up went, right? If he fell away and took off. That, so what we're trying to do within the covenant is grow in that greater faithfulness. And that's the idea. Taking heed lest you fall is leaning on God's word, leaning on God's people, and leaning on the ordinary means of grace like the sacraments and everything else that God gives us so that we can grow in our love and affection for Christ and grow in our faithfulness to Christ because he is worth it. He is better, and he'll take us through to the end, right? God is faithful. He will provide a way of escape that we may endure. And for those who are truly his, our faith will endure to the end. And that's what we're after. Carl, will you pray for us?